You're listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Mountain City Church. In this series, Purpose to Promise, we walk through the first 11 chapters of Genesis from God's purpose for his creation to his promise to Abraham. Genesis 9, starting in verse 18. The sons of Noah who went forth from the ark were Shem, Ham, and Jephthah. Ham was the father of Canaan. These three were the sons of Noah, and from these the people of the whole earth were dispersed. Noah began to to be a man of the soil, and he planted a vineyard. He drank of the wine and became drunk and lay, uh, lay uncovered in his tent. And Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brothers outside. Then Shem and Jephthah, or Jepheth, Jepheth, took a garment, laid it on, their, on both their shoulders, and walked backward and covered the nakedness of their father. Their faces were turned backward, and they did not see their father's nakedness. When Noah awoke from his wine, he knew what his youngest son had done. He said, Cursed be Canaan, a servant of servants shall he be to his brothers. He also said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem, and let Canaan be his servant. May God enlarge Jephthah, or Jepheth, and let him dwell in the tents of Shem, and let Canaan be his servant. After the flood, Noah lived 350 years, and all the days of Noah were 950 years, and he died. Let's pray. Father, we know that all your word, Lord, every word of scripture is God-breathed. And Lord, in my sinfulness and in my flesh, I think it would be easier to not preach some passages. So Father, forgive me, forgive us if we consider that because all of your word is profitable for teaching and reproof and correction and for discipline. So God, help us this morning, help me this morning to communicate what you have said in your word. And give us eyes and ears and hearts to receive what you have said. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I used to work as an engineer, um, as many of you know. And in one of my jobs I worked, uh, we used to work with something called metal extrusions. And that's a big fancy term for really fancy shaped metal. And all it is, all it was very simply, was what they would do with metal is they would, if you've never seen it, you should go watch a show called How It's Made, (laughs) rather than listening to me talk. But it's actually pretty neat. What they do is they melt the metal. Metal comes and it begins to melt, almost like a liquid. And they begin to like, I I would call it, they begin to jam it through what's called like a, a form, or they call it casts. It basically just forms the metal into the specific shape. And as the metal cools, it begins to to form shape and be strong and regain its integrity. But in those moments of it actually being like liquid, I think I I see a principle that we need to see as we're coming to a passage like this in Genesis. That the Bible's purpose in our life is to do similar to what that cast would do to the metal. As it begins to shape it, as our hearts approach God's word, it should actually shape us and form us So Noah, we come to a passage today that's with Noah coming off of the ark. And I want you to look at a diagram I think I have up there. And I think it's it's really important. And and you might be like, wow, Daniel, I've seen this before. If you've seen it before, cool. There's a really neat pattern that if we don't understand in the scriptures, it will actually warp the way our hearts are shaped. 
And see, so I, I bring this up only because we have seen, thus far in Genesis, we've seen the creation, we've seen the fall, we've seen the spiral of sin, we've seen God bring judgment on the earth with the flood, and now today we open up a passage of Scripture where almost it's as if there's a new creation. So we need to let this pattern, just for a second, just look at it for a second, let it shape you, because it's, it's a pattern that we see in Scripture that if we miss, we will miss so much. And our hearts will be warped when, in the way that they're shaped. So you could, I almost entitled this New Creation Noah, because that's basically what we see happening here. In verse 18 it says this, And the sons of Noah who went forth from the ark were Shem and Ham and Japheth. Ham was the father of Canaan. These three were the sons of Noah, and from these people the whole earth was dispersed. So this, this short genealogy, I mean, you might be like, well, Daniel, what does this matter? Who cares about the genealogy and Ham, and who cares about all these guys? But again, we need to see, we need to remember that, that you shape. We're looking at the new creation, and what we're actually about to watch is we're about to witness the new creation that God made with the flood. We're actually about to witness it begin to do it again. The, the, the new creation is going to fall once again. And, and we're heading in that direction. That's where we're going. And next week, Joe's going to talk about, us to, about, a, about Babylon to us, or not Babylon, the Tower of Babel. And we're going to see the spiral of sin. So just, just keep that in your mind. Because if you miss this, it's going to, it's going to make your heart a little wonky, a little bit. I, I would argue it would. See, so we encountered these people, though, two people. There's two types of people, and we see it right here in the front end. This short genealogy is meant to connect us like links in a chain back to the seed of the woman and actually to the seed of the serpent. So we see that Canaan, we're going to see here in a minute, that Canaan is actually the seed, at some level, the embodiment of the seed of the serpent. And that, that the rest of the brothers are actually the embodiment of the seed of the woman being carried forward. And this matters, because if we miss this, if we miss this, we don't understand Jesus' origins. So if we, just, if we just like jump to the New Testament, and we're like, okay, here we are, I want to hear about Jesus, we will miss this. We'll miss actually the origins of, which, of where we've come from. And if you'd like a better description of Leviticus 18, isn't it kind of weird we read Leviticus for our Bible reading this morning? Not very often. That's usually the passage, the Bible, part of the Bible we actually like skip over in our Bible reading plan. But just go to Leviticus 18. If you want to know more about the Canaanites at the end of this, go read Leviticus 18. It's, it's worth your time. But for the Bible to properly shape us, I want us to see something. This is the point of what I'm saying. For the Bible to properly shape us, you and me, we need to cheer at the things that God cheers for. And we need to boo or, or, or look down upon the things that God looks down upon. Let me say that another way. So we need to cheer. When the Bible is presenting something that's cheer-worthy according to God, we need to cheer. And when the Bible presents something that's despisable, we need to despise it. So when we see Noah walking in obedience, we should all celebrate. You should celebrate. So we see in verse 20, Noah began to be a man of the soil. He planted a vineyard. Again, we see Noah taking up what, what God told Abraham to do in the garden and have dominion over the creation. You should celebrate at this moment, this pattern, this new creation, because it's pointing us to this longing, all of us longing for a new creation. You can hear the people of God down through the ages rejoicing. Because Lamech said earlier, he said, maybe this is the one. Maybe this is the one who's going to redeem us. And we should rejoice because we see Noah planting a vineyard. He's, he's having dominion over God's creation. And then we get to verse 21. 
because it, verse 21 says something to us, and it says the same thing that Genesis 3.15 says to us, is it actually says, we are broken. And it cries out. Genesis 9.21 should cry out. Here's Noah, planted a vineyard, took years probably to do it. And this is what it says. He drank the wine and became drunk and lay uncovered in his tent. Don't forget now, Noah was a man who built an ark for a hundred years in the desert because he feared God. Like Noah was a man who was upright and he, he was a good, he was a quote unquote good man as we would all say like from our little Bible school growing ups, right? He was a good man by all respects. But then all of a sudden we see like, oh, wait a second. Noah's not that good actually. So that new creation, remember the spiral, or the, the, it goes this way. The spiral goes, it goes up with the new creation, then we start to see, oh no, Noah's just like the rest of us. He's just like the rest of us. One commentator, I liked what he had to say. He said, Noah, who had kept sober in drunken company, is now drunk in sober company. Noah walked with integrity in the midst of a crooked generation, and we now see him in comfort and plenty, walking in wickedness. But there's a principle, and this is an implied principle. It's not necessarily from the text, but I think it's very important. Brothers and sisters, friends, as we get older and more mature in our faith, there is a temptation to no longer rely on the grace of God in your life. And I think what we see in Noah, if nothing else, we see that. Because Noah was a man that he was no better than the people of his generation. He was chosen by God, by grace, and here we see that the moment he stopped relying upon the grace of God, he did exactly what everyone else did. Christian, it is, a, it is rarely a problem of not knowing enough or not doing the right things. Noah knew plenty about the dangers of alcohol, and he knew plenty about who God was. This story is recorded in order to instruct us that even people who have experienced the grace of God are not immune to sin in their lives. Sin was still present in this newly created world. The seed of the serpent still survived the flood, but it did so in the hearts of the people. If the flood is a reminder of what happens to, the, to a world that rejects God, then this story of Noah is the reminder for godly people of what happens when you no longer rely on the grace of God. Let me say that again. So if the flood is a warning to us about the corruption of sin, this passage today is for people who are godly, quote unquote. So what does this mean for us? It means several things, and I'm, I'm gonna try to be brief. Maybe, maybe you're a young person here today, and I speak as if I'm like not a young person or something, but I am a young person as well. Let me speak, speak to my peers. Consider how you're relying and trusting in your own knowledge as you step on the campus, as you go to your workplace, or even your spiritual upbringing as you come to these places and trusting and relying in those things rather than trusting and relying on the sustaining grace of God for tomorrow. Fathers, mothers, consider how in leading your family, maybe believing that it's sufficient to just be a part of a solid church here at Mountain City, and we're, we're a good church. I'm not trying to say we're a bad church. I'm just saying, if you're just relying on the fact, oh, we go to church on Sunday, I think you maybe, again, big shifts in our theology and big shifts in our personhood don't happen overnight. They happen over years. Joe alluded, though, to the idea. So, so go back to verse 21. He drank of the wine and became drunk and laid uncovered in his tent. 
So Joe alluded to the idea a couple weeks ago of how, how another beast was on board the ark, an unnamed beast. This beast, which has finally made its appearance, actually comes from Noah's own heart. The ground which Noah was tending by God's command is being used for a purpose which God despises. Even after the seed of the serpent was wiped off the face of the land, Noah is still showing humanity that is broken from the inside. Sin was alive and well in the heart of the new people. So this word, I want to point to something in verse 21. It says, he drank of the wine and became drunk and laid uncovered in his tent. And I find that word uncovered very important. It is very important because it helps us understand what's happening. In, in a simple sense, in one sense, it's an uncovered in the sense of just he exposed himself. But in another sense, the, the, Moses is pointing us to something that happened in that moment in the garden. Is that word for uncovered is actually the same word that happens every time Israel is sent in the, into exile. It's a physical uncovering meant to bring about shame and disgrace. So remember that the, the, the you that we talked about. So creation all the way to new creation. And as we see what Noah did, as sin entered the world, what we see is actually shame and disgrace began to enter the world again. And I want you to see this. This is the point of all this, is that your sin results in the experience of shame. Let me say this. Let me say it again. Oh, hopefully it's up there. Maybe not. I'll say it again, slowly. Your sin results in the experience of shame. Let me say it again in a more simple way, because that's not a very simple way. When you sin, shame follows. Shame can be defined as a painful feeling due to the consciousness of having done or experienced something disgraceful. Let me say that again. It's a painful feeling due to the consciousness, the knowing of having done something or experienced something that's disgraceful. And this should be as loud of a warning in our ears as the flood was. The human experience is one of experiencing shame and longing for it to be covered. Human beings have always had a sense of right and wrong, and when wrong is done, shame and disgrace cover us. The flood was the destroying of overt corruption of all people on the earth, but Noah laying uncovered in his tent should be a reminder that there's no one who's exempt from sin. Well, I mean, I hear you in the back saying to me, well, Daniel, I'm experiencing shame, but I don't think it's related to sin in my life. And this is just an aside, just to make sure we're clear on what I mean by shame. So I want to distinguish between false shame and true shame. I think there's a false shame that actually can come in and actually can create similar things of that true shame, which true shame actually leads to repentance. There's a false shame that can come, which, which comes from unbiblical expectations of ourselves. This should be a shame that we feel, this, this would be the shame that we feel whenever we feel embarrassed that someone comes and sees our messy house. That's the kind of false shame. It's not a biblical commandment. It's, some, it's an expectation we've set up. So not that kind of shame. That's not what I'm talking about. The shame we're talking about today is the kind of shame that after you have rebelled, after you have rejected God's command, after you have sinned, it's the fruit of what comes out of that. It's the regret. It's the remorse and we do one of two things with this kind of shame. We either ignore it and walk another way, or we repent, which is what we talked about, which is why that curve is so important, because it's the path of repentance. It's the path of how, how it looks. God, God creates, and he brings it all the way to new creation, and this is what, it's a turning. 
It's repentance. It's a turning away from the direction we were going. In this instance, Noah was experiencing true shame because he broke God's commands. Now, in the same way that the Bible does not overtly speak of polygamy being wrong, this passage is not necessarily condemning drunkenness. Okay, so hear me right. The Bible does condemn drunkenness. But this passage is not just about Noah being drunk. Okay? So Noah being drunk is not the main point of this passage. The main point of this passage is actually about Ham. The thrust of this message is what Ham has done. Listen in verse 22. And Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brothers outside. And I want us to see this, is that your sin multiplies shame, okay? And I could put it also, unless repented of. So your sin multiplies shame. So unless repented of, your sin continues to compound shame. If you think of it like this, think of it as if it's a spiral. So we sin once, Shame continues, it continues to drag us down. Then what happens, when, when we sin once, sin compounds. And what's it do again? We see it, we've seen it just happen. Noah's drunk in his tent. He laid himself uncovered. And it just continues to spiral. And now we see that sin, Noah's initial sin actually has led to his son's mockery of him. So, so at this point, we've, we've just stepped out of the, the new creation, quote unquote. And here we are, back in a worse Eden than what we saw. He looks upon his father's nakedness and begins spreading it to his brother. Well, you say, well, that seems kind of ridiculous, Daniel. Who cares? Who cares that he just, maybe he just glanced at his father's nakedness. But the fact that he, he sees his brother's na- nakedness and reports it to his brothers shows that he is mocking his father. This is the reason why the brothers come and do what they did. If a son would see his father in this situation, it would be disgraceful. But I think we have a problem, actually, when we come to this passage. You want to know why? Because I think sometimes, let me give you an example. My wife and I were watching, uh, we watch, I don't know about you guys, but we get into these episodes or like shows we watch every once in a while. We were watching SWAT the other day. Great show. I love SWAT. It's like, it's from like 2005, by the way, too. I know. It's old. But there was a point in the show that there was something that was happening, there was a relationship between two people that, tur- that turned same-sex attraction I- into polygamy, into this disgusting, almost, I almost had us turn it off. It wasn't like showing it, it just was talking about it, right? They were just talking about the wickedness that they were doing. And I think there's a problem. This is why it's really important that the Bible be the thing that shapes us. You wanna know why? Because cultures will continue to change. Cultures are like moving disks that are just going around, going into the new thing. It's always shifting. It's always moving. And the reason I bring that example up is I want to ask you, how is culture shaping you? It, it, that question is like, okay, well, wow, Daniel, what's your point here? Because we, we're not offended in the same way that the biblical authors are offended with, with what Ham did. And all Ham did was dishonor his father. Do you see why this is important? If the Bible is not the thing that's shaping us, then actually we can come to a piece like this about Ham doing this to his father, disrespecting his father, disregarding his father, and we actually don't even hear it. We don't even hear necessarily what the Bible is trying to scream at us. Exodus 20, verse 12 says this, honor your father and mother. This is just the Ten Commandments, the Fifth Commandment. Honor your father and mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. 
And what we see here is Ham desecrating his familial duty, which resulted in sin against both his father and God. Because for a child, for, for, a, for a son, to dishonor his father is essentially dishonoring God. Rather than honoring his father, he further uncovered his nakedness by sharing the event with his brothers. Ham's affront to God comes through disrespecting and dishonoring his father. That's why the Bible has to be what shapes us, because if we miss, because here's the thing, that's the whole point of this passage, is that, that Ham has continued the seed of the serpent. How has he done that? We see Eve in the garden usurping her husband. God's created order that man was meant to lead, man not only rejecting his God-given position, but also women, or women usurping her husband's authority. And then we see sons, here we go. Now the whole family's involved in the sinful act. Now we see sons saying, I was making fun of dad earlier. <laughs> Did you see what happened? Do you see how, how, how we see the progression of the scriptures? And then Paul later talks about it. And he says this. He even brings the command forward to the New Testament. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. For this is right. He doesn't even say any other reason. He says, honor your father and mother, for this is the first commandment with a promise. This is right. That's all Paul has to say about it. It's just right. <laughs> Do you see why our life has to be shaped by the scriptures? Because if they're not, we don't even understand what the scriptures say. So I'll ask you again, how is culture shaping you? Are there any areas that you don't necessarily agree with God? But this dishonorable son is compared with his other two sons. It says in verse 23, Then Shem and Japheth took a garment and laid it on both their shoulders and walked backward and covered the nakedness of their father. Their faces were turned backward and they did not see their father's nakedness. You can just hear that in the text how it says that like, they, took, they went at great lengths to cover themselves so that they would not see their father's nakedness. Out of respect and honor and dignity for their father, they were not even going to look. They couldn't look. They, they, they refused to look. There's a response of Ham which seems to shame and dishonor his father. But shame is brought from Ham's looking upon his father's nakedness. But shame or honor is restored by the brothers covering the nakedness. So in some ways, Shem and Japheth, act of cover, their act of covering their father sends us right back into the Garden of Eden. Just how God imitated, or God began by covering the nakedness of Adam and Eve, we now see Shem and Japheth doing the same thing for their father. Shem and Japheth's act of covering their father not only honored their father, but they honored God as well. So in the same way that God covered Adam and Eve in the garden, Noah is covered by his sons. Friends, we need, this, this passage is screaming out, for we need someone to cover us. Because here's the thing. We're all in different gardens. And we're all doing different things with the fruit of the, of the vine. Adam and Eve, they just take it off the tree. Noah, he's over there making wine. And he drinks too much of it. And maybe... <laughs> I don't know. The sin may look differently, friends, but each and every single one of us need a covering. Though the sin looks different, though it is in different contexts, you need someone to cover your shame. This would be really bad news if we didn't have someone to cover our shame. But I want you to turn real quick to Hebrews chapter 12. 
just leaf there. Hebrews chapter 12, it says this. Now, the context of this is actually, this is another place we actually see Noah's name mentioned in the New Testament. And we see it in the hall of faith. It says that, that God actually, by grace, brought him out of there, where he, where he did. You can go read that in Hebrews 11. But it, it, it crescendos in this passage of Hebrews 12. And it says this. It says, because of all these people who've lived by faith, it says, therefore... Since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, like Noah, the drunk man in his tent, like Noah, by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Not done. See this next part. How did they do it, though? Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. So we don't, we don't just, as, as New Testament Christians, we don't just say, oh, look at Ham. Look at, look at what he did. How bad is that? Don't, don't be like Ham. Honor your father and mother now. No, no, don't get me wrong. We honor our father and mother. And it is an awful thing when we do not honor our father and mother. But that's not the only thing. We need to see what Jesus says. How did they do that? Looking to Jesus, the founder, the, the very base of our faith. And perfecter, not just the founder of it, the one who's perfect in it. Friends, if it would say the founder and the one who almost got it right, that's really bad news. It says he's the founder and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. And see, here, here's the thing. We oftentimes stop there. See, it's not just that he endured the cross. He did so by looking at the joy that was set before him, the joy of being obedient to his father. He went and was obedient to his father to the point of death. And he endured the cross. He endured the nails. He endured all of this on behalf of sinful people. But he doesn't end there. It says, despising the shame. That word, despising, is the same word that it means like to scorn or to, to look begrudgingly upon. So as Jesus hung naked and exposed on the cross for sinful humanity, he did so despising my and your shame. Let that sink in. He did so, not, not saying, well, Daniel, you know, he, he could probably do better. He should honor his father and mother. Despising the shame not only the shame of the act, but the shame and mine and your shame. And it's not even done. It says, and he's seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So, so not only does he endure the cross, not only does he scorn and deride the shame, but then he sits down because it's been completed. Friends, because it is completed, it's because it's done in Jesus, we can actually honor our fathers and mothers. We can actually walk in obedience. We can actually go plant a vineyard and not get drunk on our butt. <laughs> no, I'm not just saying, like, I, wine's fine. There's nothing wrong with wine. Too much wine, it's bad. I'm not, I've heard somebody in doing this, sorry, just an aside. I've heard so many preachers be like, wine is bad. Wine is this. It's like, wine's fine. Wine is fine, okay? Do you like that? Wine is fine. <laughs> sorry. Sorry. 
Sorry. So we see Jesus despising the shame, enduring the cross, and now he's seated in the sense that he's complete. It's complete. There's no more work to be done. There's no more work to be done before God. So how, my question then is, how do we think about our shame now? Okay, Daniel, you, you come up here and you tell me, like, Jesus, he sat down, he despised the shame, but you know what? I still feel shame. Every time I fall short, I still feel deep remorse, which deep remorse is good because it leads to repentance, if it leads to repentance. How do we think about our shame, though? Well, you're like, okay, Daniel, I've repented. I've repented over and over and over again, and what do I do? I would submit to you this, that we have the same mind of Christ toward our shame. C.S. Lewis said this in his, C.S. Lewis believed that the imagination was actually the organ of meaning. Let me say it like this, let me say it again. C.S. Lewis believed that imagination up here was actually the organ of meaning. The cognitive ability to translate sensory inputs, a word, an image, an experience into something meaningful. Okay, so our imagination he says, if untrained or proper, improperly trained, the imagination will fail us by giving false meaning to some things and failing to imagine what is true. Let me say that again, it's really important. If untrained, the imagination, the imagination will fail us by giving us a false meaning to some things and failing to imagine what is true. In a pivotal chapter in, his, in the Space Trilogy, the character Ransom, first grasps the nature and extent to which he must fight evil itself, and he commits to do so. Lewis identifies, and he calls it this, he says, the habit of imaginative honesty. Okay, a key resource that keeps Ransom, the, the main character, faithful. So basically what he's saying is he's saying that we need to first imagine despising the shame that we experience, okay? Let me, let me give you an example of this. We see it actually in Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11, just don't, don't even turn back very much further. Verse 24, we see Moses actually does this. Within the hall of faith, we see someone who didn't experience good, <laughs> okay? He says this, he says, by faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. Okay, do, do you see what I'm saying? So, so here's Moses, we just see a case study, all right, of, of Moses being the one who first had to imagine that this shame that I'm experiencing. So, so when we sin, let, let's just pretend, I'll, I'll use one that, that I will often feel. Okay, Daniel, you, you, mis, you spoke poorly to your wife. And you repent, you go to her and you're like, sorry, baby, I'm sorry, I should not have spoke that way. Okay, great, done. Jesus, forgive me, but you still feel this lurking shame. What if we began to imagine every time, as the Proverbs tell us, using scripture, even to imagine these things, that Daniel, when you speak this way, what if I begin to imagine, Daniel, when you speak this way, you are speaking literal death to your wife, scorning, deriding the shame that I'm feeling. So for the next time, I don't even experience this, why? Because sin first comes in the emotion. So if we don't feel, when we see temptation come, and we don't first feel a guttural response of this is wicked, 
I hate this. I can, because of what Christ has done, overcome this. And he has actually scorned the shame. So now I need to scorn the same things he scorns. Do you see what I'm saying? I hope. So if you want to put to death the shame that you're experiencing... Do as our brother Moses and look to the future grace and the future reward while we at the exact same time scorn the shame, scorn the lies, scorn the things that are wicked in our lives. So I want to give us one more, one more point that I think we see here. Even in Genesis 9, Oftentimes we'll hear about the, the seed of the woman being, or the seed of the serpent being crushed, and we'll say, look, there's the proto-euangelion, there's the proto-gospel, the first gospel, but we see a second gospel right here in Genesis 9. When Noah awoke from his wine, he knew what his younger son had done to him. He said, cursed be Canaan, a servant of servants shall he be to his brother. So we see the hope of the covering of Christ. Let me show you how we see it. So if you just picture with me for a minute, Canaan being exactly what Moses said, or <laughs> Moses, what Noah said in being the embodiment of the seed of the serpent. Okay, if you see that, and you move on and you see the next passage that says, in verse 26, he said also, blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem, and let Canaan be his servant. So we see, even in, this, even in this verse, we see that God is bringing the line of the Messiah, the line of the seed that's coming through Abraham. He's actually bringing it through Shem. Now listen to the last piece in verse 27. May God enlarge Japheth and let him dwell in the tents of Shem and let Canaan be his servants. Friends, what we see happening here is a prophecy from Noah about what's going to happen at Pentecost. Hear, hear it again. May God enlarge Japheth, which is the one who is called, like, basically the Gentiles, everyone else. <laughs> he says, let him enlarge Japheth, and let him, that's Japheth, dwell in the tents of Shem, and let Canaan be his servant. So even in Genesis 9, we see a precursor to God's bringing the nations to himself. And this is important. Because we see this happen with the coming of the Holy Spirit, which Joe's going to talk about next week, hopefully, not the coming of the Holy Spirit, but Babel. But friends, I, th I think there's another piece we need to see here. It's, okay, Daniel, we're supposed to despise our shame, or, and, and after we've repented, after we've turned from these things, we actually despise our shame. Okay, but how do I view others? What happens now when I, when I see someone else, maybe, like Noah doing something disgraceful. Friends, we now, because of what Jesus has done, because Jesus has endured the cross, because Jesus has despised the shame, because we have despised the shame, it, like our elder brother Jesus, because of that, now we can actually come and we can be like the sons and cover Noah. We can actually, like 1 Peter says, 1 Peter 4, 8, it says, above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers over a multitude of sins. So friends, we don't come and we, we don't just cast shame when we see someone struggling. We actually come alongside them, and we cover their shame, and we love them. We don't speak about them to others, but we actually do what all of the Proverbs point to. Not to, not to speak harshly with them, but actually to love them, and to serve them, and to cover their shame. 
and we do this, this will become a burden if we don't do this. I love this quote from John Owen. I, I just found it so helpful when thinking about this Hebrews 12 passage. He says this, he says, a constant view of the glory of Christ will revive our souls and cause our spiritual lives to flourish and thrive. The more we behold the glory of Christ by faith now, the more spiritual and more heavenly will be the state of our souls. The reason why the spiritual life in our souls decays and withers is because we fill our minds with full of other things. But when the mind is filled with thoughts of Christ and his glory, mainly in the fact that he has despised our shame and he has taken our punishment, these things will be expelled. This is how our spiritual life is revived. So as we've looked at, we've seen how the flood is a reminder of what happens to a world that rejects God. How, how the flood is actually the reminder of, of what happens to the world that rejects God, but Noah's story is what happens when we no longer rely on the grace of God. We've also seen how your, your sin results in the experience of shame. We've also seen how your sin multiplies shame. We've also seen the covering, which is Christ and the hope of the covering of Christ. Thank you for listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Mountain City Church. To learn more about our church, visit our website at mountaincty.church. Thanks again, and may the Lord bless your week.